occult crimes, paranormal investigations, urban legends, and strange happenings. Welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. Hey, welcome back to Myths, Magic, and Murder. This is episode 19. I'm Abby. I'm Kate. We'll be your ghostesses this evening. We hit 3,000 listens. (laughs) My goodness. (laughs) Also, for people that don't care about that, it's Pancake Day soon. Yay, tomorrow. I Do guess. they have Pancake Day in America? Honestly, don't know. If you're American or from anywhere else that doesn't have Pancake Day, you should still do Pancake Day. Make pancakes. Eat them. Isn't it like a Christian thing? Uh, yeah, Shrove Getting Tuesday. everything out of your cupboards so you don't waste it for the Lent. I don't know much about pancakes and the days about them. I think it was just using everything up. In your cupboards, was it not? Yeah. Well, you know, if you make some spooky pancakes, let us know. Send them to us. Let's have a look. Yeah, at Mint's Magic Pod. Yeah. Okay, Kate, what are you talking about today? I actually just entirely forgot what I was talking about. Talking about Heather Elvis today. The missing persons case that's been going on for over six years. Wow. How about you? I'm talking about the most haunted house in England, allegedly. Oh, nice. Yeah. Allegedly? Who's Alleg- disputing you? <laughs> Well, several people. You sound like you're in a lawsuit. <laughs> I'm not allowed to talk about that. <laughs> okay, do you want to get straight into it? You got anything else to say? Talk um, about pancakes more? I mean, I could do a whole podcast on pancakes. They're tasty, they're good, they're squishy, delicious. Squishy That's all I have delicious. to say. <laughs> What's your pancake topping? And do you prefer English pancakes or American pancakes? <sighs> See, I'm going to be controversial I really like American pancakes as savory pancakes, so with a bit of tuna and some cheese. Ew! Yeah, I knew that you wouldn't like it, but it's really, I shouldn't have asked. I should have just talked about the ghost. Don't knock it till you try it, honestly. It's so good. Also, like, back when I used to eat, like, meat, chicken wings, maple syrup, it's good. Savory pancakes are good, and they're underrated, and I will fight until I die for them. However, not such a fan of savory, like, crepes or, like, English pancakes. So those are the best with lemon and sugar. They are maybe a bit of chocolate sauce syrup. <laughs> I was gonna say syrup, but I meant chocolate sauce. Yeah, but how about you? I prefer English pancakes, but I do like American pancakes as well. They're very, very good. They are good. I want to try the fluffy Japanese ones as well. Okay. Yes. Spooky ghost time. Yes. Enough of pancakes. Mm-hmm. Have a good pancake day. Anyway. <laughs> Have a great day. Anyway. We're going to ruin your day. So today's episode, I'm talking about Borley Rectory, which is the most haunted house. Where's that? Borley? Borley. Right. The most haunted house in England. Allegedly. And Kay has some family ties. Woo. I do. Loosely. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I do. My sources are... HarryPriceWebsite.co.uk, Mirror.co.uk, EssexGhostHunters.co.uk, National Archives, FindAGrave.com, Wikipedia, and Kate's mum, who I WhatsApped. Woo! Shout out to even though she doesn't listen. <laughs> so, Borley Rectory was a house that was well known for being super haunted, and it was built in 1862 to house the rector of the parish of Borley and his family. The reverend's name was Henry Dawson Ellis Bull, and he was a direct relative to your mum's ex-husband and his children, who are obviously your half-brothers. Yes. That is your loose connection. That they are. But it is still a connection. I don't have that. That it is. 
So, yeah, each, in each episode, I'm going to tell Kate about her family history. <laughs> yeah, right. I feel like I could do any of this research, but I don't want to. I want to be told. It's quite exciting, isn't it? <laughs> I was trying to figure out like the exact link on the family tree episode, but I couldn't find it because Henry had so many kids. Fair enough. And then I got a bit distracted because I realized I don't know anything about my family history. Oh, I see. You're making so it I was all trying the to find show. me. I want to have some spooky connections too. Listen, you don't. It's just my mom. So. Yeah, I couldn't find anything on my family. <laughs> so anyway, the rectory stood on top of the ruins of a different rectory that had been destroyed in 1841, so about 20 years earlier. Sounds like an awful place to put a rectory. On top of an old rectory? Yeah. You aren't wrong. This rectory failed, so you know what we'll do. On top of the ashes of the old rectory, we'll place a new one. More rectories! This one will work. I mean, it did for a while. And then it became horribly, horribly haunted. So anyway, because Henry had 14 kids, he built a wing onto the side of the house so they could all live comfortably and everything was fine for a while. A few locals recalled hearing footsteps in the house shortly after it was constructed. But it wasn't until 1900 when four of Henry's daughters saw the ghost of a nun about 40 yards from the house. Hmm. Oh, so like through the window? If you, if you saw her from the house. Or were they 40 yards from the house? Was the nun? The nun was 40 yards from the house. That's what I mean, yeah. So they saw her through like a window. They were looking out a window and they saw her. I don't nun. know the exact <laughs> placement of I the nun that or would, the girls. That would make most sense. It was either that or they were like stood in the house's doorway. You know what Well, I, mean? I figured that they were like sort of outside because it was nighttime when they tried they tried to talk to it, but as they got closer, it disappeared. They're just shouting out a window. Oi, Oi nun. Oh my God. <laughs> The local organist later said that the family living at the rectory were very convinced that they'd seen the nun on several occasions. Fair enough, if you've seen a nun, then you'd be pretty convinced you'd seen a nun. In fact, ghostly activity and sightings of the nun have been reported as early as 1836, so before the new house was built for Hmm. Henry. Weird that it took that long to see it. People were still talking about it. Oh, you mean they were living there for a while? Yeah, exactly. I guess you just weren't looking for a nun, though, you know? I suppose, but equally, Abby, if you saw a nun right outside your house, you'd be like, there's a nun outside the house. Fair, I mean, fair. <laughs> but also, it's a rectory near a church. Oh, okay. Maybe you'd just all be right, like, there's right. a nun. Right, anyway. Their story gets wilder, so anyway. Okay. It's not particularly wild at the minute. In addition to this, many people claim to have witnessed a variety of incidents, such as a phantom coast coach driven by two headless horsemen. Oh. And people were reporting these incidents for decades. <clears throat> oh, that's... Henry died in 1892, and his son, also called Henry, but commonly referred to as Harry, took over the reverend and continued living in the house. As a side note, I know for a fact that so my mom's ex-husband was Tom, and his full name was Thomas Henry Bull. Like That name Henry got thrown around a lot in that family, so... I have in my notes, because I have more characters called Henry and Harry, characters. and I, I wrote in my notes so that I would remember to apologise. Sorry, everyone's called Henry and Harry. Yeah, no, it's... it's That's so funny. I, I know for a fact that the whole family was just... And uh, one of my brothers might be Henry, Timothy Charles, Christopher. Stop outing everyone on the podcast. <laughs> Henry. They're my brothers, I don't care, I'll out them. <laughs> Yeah, I think my brother has a middle name of Henry as well. It just goes on forever. That's so crazy. So, yeah, then Harry was living in the house. His name is Henry, but he goes by Harry. Right. As you would if everyone else in your family is called Henry. 
So Harry didn't really report much, but he did mention that he often heard a horse and carriage, but nothing was there. Mm-hmm. Like he'd hear it coming behind him and he'd go off to the, the path and then nothing would go past. Mm. And on one occasion, his dog was, dog was barking at something behind the tree in his garden and he went to take a closer look and saw a pair of legs behind the trees. But when they moved out from behind the trees, the body was missing a head. Oh. Headless horseman. I don't know how I feel about that. Like, uh, Obviously, seeing a headless figure would be horrific. But if you see a headless figure, would you not just be like, well, they can't see me? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, They're not going to get me. I, I mean, I, I never thought about that. But equally, if they're driving a horse, man, they don't know where they're going. <laughs> they don't have a clue. That's the, sort of the scariest type of ghost. <laughs> yeah, right. It's because you can, they cannot see what they're doing. Yeah, no, they have no... They're ghosts, but also they're chaotic, in control of a huge animal, on a car. Literally no worldly. brain, so... <laughs> you know, I never thought about that, but I really like it. Yeah. So Harry died in June of 1927, and the rectory became vacant for a year before a new reverend, Eric Smith, moved in with his wife. Soon after, Mrs. Smith was cleaning out cupboard when she found a brown paper bag with the skull of a young woman inside of it. Oh no! The discovery of this triggered a bunch of incidents, including the sound of servant bells ringing, although they were disconnected, lights appearing in windows and unexplained footsteps. What did she do with the skull? No idea. This story's quite old. They were just like, oh, there's a skull. Oh my goodness. Mrs. Smith also reported seeing the horse-drawn carriage at night with the headless horseman mm. I, it's cool because i've never really heard of headless horsemen outside of like scooby-doo and sleepy hollow oh no it's a really british thing for sure yeah like there's um we, we've got the the wild hunt as well which has got headless horsemen involved and i think i'd absolutely hate to see a headless horseman but i, I think, I think I'd, I'd still hate prefer to see a headless s- anyone no matter <laughs> what occupation to be honest i, I think i'd still prefer to see them over the seeing a ghost of a nun mm, yeah maybe it's because of the nun religion you know, the is is scary when it's tied to the occult, you know what I mean? Like, if I saw a ghost priest, I would be more freaked out than if I saw a ghost farmer. Fair enough. You know what I mean? A it ghost farmer wouldn't scare me. It gives it, like, that kind of, like, demonic thing. I get that. Because it's, like, the just juxtaposition of, of what they did when they were alive. I don't know, it's creepy. I get that. I... Nothing is worse than ghost children, though, so... As long as it's not a ghost child, I'm okay with it. It's the laughter... Like, I've never seen a ghost kid, but I would imagine horrific. I've never seen a ghost anyone. I've, I don't know. I don't, I don't class them as scarier than others. You know what I mean? I'm not like, oh, ghost women. Like, my friend is deathly afraid of female, like, older women ghosts. That's incredibly specific. Yeah, and my other friend is also afraid of um, ghost children, but... Children ghosts are worse than any other ghost, unless they're, like malicious anyway so anyway (laughs) mrs smith after seeing this ghost carriage was like i've had enough of this and she contacted the daily mirror who put her in touch with a man called harry price who was a paranormal researcher and the daily mirror is a tabloid newspaper in england if you are not familiar with that Mm -hmm. uh yeah this is where i wrote so everyone in the story is called henry and harry because this new guy is also called harry oh god and he's a big memory of the story there were only two two male names in england at the time yeah so Harry Price, the investigator, visited the house two days after the phone call, and immediately after he arrived, un- other unusual things started to happen, such as a throwing of stones and a vase, as well as messages being left on the mirrors. Hmm. However, when Price left, so did these events, which caused Mrs. Smith to believe he was a bit of a faker. I mean, it 
could have been that, or it could have been. Uh, did you ever watch Paranormal Activity? A long time ago. Well, do you remember how spoilers? <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's been out for like over ten. This years. contains spoilers for Paranormal Activity. <laughs> um, the ghost was annoyed that it was being filmed, wasn't it? Like that's what kind of caused everything. So maybe like the ghosts and ghostly happenings in this house or in the rectory. Well, there's a big debate on this at the end. Sorry. It's okay. I skipped ahead again. Just, yeah, it's fine. Just hold that thought in your brain because it's going to be very important right, later. No, I can it. see you trying to tell me it right now. Let me say it Wait, right now. No. <laughs> so the Smiths moved out of the house in 1929 and they had some difficulty finding a replacement, which is fair enough because there was a headless horseman, a skull in a bag, and a nun. <laughs> skull in a bag. So that the house brings was- a new meaning to scullery maid. <laughs> so the house was empty for a year before Reverend Lionel Foster, who was a first cousin of the Bulls, moved in with his wife Marianne and their adopted daughter, Adelaide. After weird things started happening again, Lionel began writing down all of the strange incidents. Yes, Lionel. Yeah, right? He did this for five years until they left. And his notes included things like bells ringing, windows shattering, throwing of stones and bottles, wall writing, and their daughter being locked in a room without a key. Was that them or the ghost? <laughs> the ghost. Right. At one point, Marianne reported that she'd been thrown from her bed while Adelaide was attacked by, quote, something horrible. Mm, hate that. Thank you. He also tr- tried twice to conduct an exorcism, but both of them failed. On the first try, he was struck with a fist-sized stone in his shoulder. You can't just do an exorcism. I mean, he is a priest. He's a reverend. Oh, don't you have to be from the Vatican? To do an he gave it his best shot. Or am I just making that up? <laughs> you don't know, do you? <laughs> you know, I thought I knew a lot about exorcism, but now you're questioning me Sorry. right here live on this podcast. <laughs> well, I might have to do a little bit of research. He tried to do an exorcism and it did not work. Mm-hmm. So around this time also, the Daily Mirror, so the newspaper from earlier, were like right on the house. They were super interested in it because obviously they'd been called originally. Mm-hmm. They were making it their story. It was really big. And because of this, several other psychic researchers were also investigating the property, and they all decided unanimously that many of the events were caused by Marianne, either consciously or subconsciously. To this, Marianne said that her husband had caused some of the incidents, in agreement with one of the researchers to make their story more interesting, but that many of the events were real and the house was genuinely haunted. Okay. So it's like an Amityville all over again. Wait for this, then. What, you to drink some more? <laughs> just just wait. <laughs> just wait, everyone. Later on, Marianne admitted that she, has, she had caused the fake accidents and not her husband because she was having a sexual affair with their lodger, Frank, and she used paranormal explanations to cover it up. Drama. Wait, so she's trying to fuck Frank, so she locks her kid in a in a cupboard? I don't know which ones she... <laughs> She did, and which one she didn't. She changed her story quite a lot. <laughs> she started having an affair with a guy, and she was like, you know what, cover this up. Me, throwing bottles at windows. <laughs> well, at one point as well, she said that, I think maybe she was doing it as like a distraction, but at one point as well, she said that she was doing it like to prank her husband. Oh, so it wasn't enough that she was sleeping with another man. No. Now she also wants to see him cry. Poor Lionel. Yeah, right? Anyway, Lionel, Marianne, and Adelaide left the house in 1935, and Lionel sent all of the things that he'd written to Harry Price, mm-hmm. the paranormal investigator. Yep. In 1937, Harry Price took out a year-long rental agreement and started living at the house. 
For he's what? dedicated to because he wanted to do more research. Don't. He placed an advertisement in the Times, which is another British newspaper, and he started interviewing people to come spend time at the house. Why? They were mostly students, and they, of were they were instructed to report anything weird that happened on the property. So they'd stay there overnight or like at the weekends, and that way he had multiple eyes seeing if there was anything weird happening. Right, it's a pretty good idea if you think about it. It does make sense. However, I wouldn't trust like university people to go in and not fuck about well one year after one of the people one of the women there decided to conduct a planchette seance so i guess she did a week what? yeah she <laughs> she thought that she'd what? Do it. and price reported that the girl communicating with the spirits spoke to two of them and the first one was a young nun who identified herself as marie and according to the story marie was a french nun who left her religious order and traveled to england to marry the owner of the previous house that stood under the rectory so the first rectory and she'd been mur- murdered in an old building on the site of the rectory, and her body was buried in the cellar or thrown into a well. The writings on the mirrors were thought to be her cries for help. The second spirit identified himself as Sonic, and claimed that he would set fire to the house at nine o'clock that night. As Sonic? Sonic. Oh. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog Gotta go is going to burn your house at nine o'clock tonight. <laughs> and it was the 27th of March, 1938 at this point. And he said that when he burned the house down, the bones of the murdered person would be revealed. Safe. Thank you. So at one point around here as well, the journalist came to report further on the house because it was so big at that point as well. Mm-hmm. And although they didn't see anything weird, they didn't see the horsemen, they did say they saw a nun moving around and they took a photo of a ghostly figure as well, which I'll put on Instagram at Mitz Magic Mod. Mod, my God. Mitz Magic Pod. Also Facebook and Twitter. They also reported that a glass candlestick flew past the heads. Pebbles were falling down the stairs or bells ringing. Keys were shooting out the doors. I'm not being funny. I would kick that student right out of the house. So there was no fire on the 27th of March, 1938, but there was a fire on February 27th, 1939, because the new owner of the house was unpacking boxes and knocked down an oil lamp in the hallway. And the fire quickly spread and damaged everything in the house. And the insurance company decided that the fire had been set deliberately. Oh, man, you'd feel like an idiot. Well, he did it on purpose. Well, people think he did it on purpose because the house was insured for 10 grand and he bought it for 500 pound. How much is that in today's money? No idea. I'm going to say 10 million pounds. Do you want me to quickly work it out? (laughs) I'll pause this real quick. Please hold. It's about 650 grand. I was close. Yeah, so he, he'd taken it out, he'd bought it for about 16, and then got like way more back. Right. If you think about it like that. Mm-hmm. So people think that he did it on purpose, which, you know, fair enough, but why you got to burn down a big old house? Yeah, right. Just put in some hard work. Earn your money. All don't right. commit fraud. Okay, everyone listening, don't commit fraud. All you fraudsters out there, stop <laughs> listening right now. I don't think now. we have many fraudsters. You don't know. Well, we could do. 3,000 people. Either. One of you has got to be a fraudster, yeah. statistically. <laughs> statistically, at least 10 of you are fraudsters. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is a shit show. A woman from a nearby house said she saw the figure of the nun in the upstairs window, and Harry Price dug up the cellar in 1943, and he discovered two bones thought to be of a young woman. The bones Only were given... Two to a burial site after the parish of Borley refused to allow the ceremony to take place because the locals thought they were pig bones. 
But there was no proof they were pig bones. It could have been a human. And if it was a human, it could have been the nun. She did say she was buried in a cellar. Could it, yeah, but wouldn't there have been more bones? In her Maybe body? he couldn't find them. Just a two-boned nun. He, she, they, she could have been like put in different, like you know, chopped up into bits, put in different bits. I like how much you want it to be the nun. Oh, it could be the nun. <laughs> so Harry Price wrote several books about Boy Rectory, and he died in 1948. After this, a reporter accused him of faking phenomena while visiting the house because when he was with Price, he was hit in the head by a large pebble, and he claimed that he he grabbed Harry and checked his pockets and found that he had pebbles. So he was like, you did this. (laughs) (laughs) Harry's out here smacking people in the head with pebbles to be like, oh, look, (laughs) haunted house. (laughs) Price's most loyal associates also published a book where they concluded that Price was a faker. And nice. many people believed that the legends about the house were invented for jokes of publicity and that any weird phenomena could be explained by the odd shape of the house and rats that could have been living in it. House is an odd shape, that's why there's a nun outside. Right? <laughs> but there were a few people who stuck up for Robert, though, including your mum. My said mom? that Yeah, Harry was caught, like, caught for inventing bits, but if you look at his overall history, he had a pretty good track record, which is true, so I looked into that. And she didn't say it you know, quite like that, but... <laughs> My mum was like, nah, justice for Harry. But in the beginning, he was a scientist and he, like, praised... People praised him because he often, like, debunked fraudulent mediums and his work in paranormal investigations. And he wanted to prove things with science as well as witness them. Like, he started as a sceptic and ended up dedicating his life to learning about how the paranormal worked. Me. And becoming a member of the Magic Circle. Like, he learned how to conjure. Wow. Super into it. And to be honest, like, all of the hatred on Harry kind of stems from that book people wrote about him and that's Uh, what you get on the internet when you research him like there's a lot of good stuff as well but you also get so much bad press just from this one book mm -hmm. and it's not fair man there's no proof (laughs) all right okay moving on from Harry. no but like that's the one that got popular the only one that got popular is the one that people make him out to be a fraud so it's a debate you know like the authors of the book were clearly determined not to believe in ghosts it's like a a pretty closed-minded book and it was described as one of the most hateful books ever written. By who? Harry? No, he didn't write it. The people wrote that about him. Yeah, I said, who said that it was one he of was the most dead. hateful books? Would they have still written it when he was dead? I don't know. Media is just not biased. It's obviously biased against ghosts anyway. So oh my God. I don't know. Anyway, your mum went there to look around, although she said it was just rubble in a field. But she also felt like it was super quiet and airy and she didn't want to hang around much. So. Oh gosh, it was rubble in a field, mum. There could have been a nun. Headless horseman. Anyway, what do you think? How scary do you think that is? I think it's pretty spooky. It is, right? Headless horseman. That's so exciting. Yeah, That's so cool. The worst kind of horseman. Right? And they found... <laughs> blind horseman. And they found the bones of a possible nun. Yeah, okay. No, the two bones, um, <laughs> I'm not on your side for. But you the skull... a pig? Oh, they've buried a pig in the cellar. Um, For publicity. So they found bones. Okay. Yeah. Um. But I do trust like the the skull and that people saw a nun and that you know things rattled around or whatever. Um. So I'd say, am I doing the scale already? Yeah. Yeah. Um. What is it? Danger. Scare. That's why I said how scary oh, do you think it is? Sorry. Um. I would say. Like a four. Four. Fair enough. That's a good good choice. Yeah, it's it's a pretty 
pretty spooky tale. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be there. But the danger, like two. Yeah, fair enough. Likelihood. How much do you believe in this? Four. You do? Yeah. Whoop whoop. I I think, um, ghost sightings are more plausible than a lot of the things that we've talked about. You know. And I think the big old skeptic. I'm not no, but I think um I I think I believe in ghosts. I haven't seen one. If I saw one, I would believe more in them. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I trust myself more than other people. Um, but I would believe that you know if it was so close to a church, then a nun could have died, and then sort of their essence lingered. If that makes sense. Yeah, I get that. So okay, what what are your explanations? What do you think of this? Uh, old house. Um, because this house is pretty old and it makes a lot of creaks and rattles and slams and stuff. Yeah, it does. Um, pig bones. Ghosts. I know it's not an alternative explanation, but I think there were probably ghosts there. Yep. Um. Oh, yeah. So, like I was saying, um, paranormal activity. So... It could have been the fact that he was there to, like, look for the ghosts. And they were getting more agitated, so more scary stuff happened. Do you know what I mean? So, so the ghosts were angry at him. Not angry so much as just kind of annoyed, you know, agitated. He was coming into their home. He yeah, was I get messing them about, you know, so. That makes sense. Um, And also a crazy, unqualified student. Because that... Who knows if that woman knew how to do Ouija boards? Do you believe Harry Price was a a liar or a, a truther? <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> Welcome back to this awful podcast. I think he probably embellished some facts, but I think the facts were there and then just built upon. Because you can't tell a good story just by telling the facts. You can't. Fair enough, yeah. It's not what anyone does, is it? Like... You have to embellish some things, give it a bit of extra dramatic flair, you know. Yeah, I get that. Okay. Especially if you want it to be well known. Yeah, then. for sure. So I think, yeah, I think the crux of it was true. But, hmm. Cool. A cool haunted house. Speaking of a cool haunted house that I have ties to, my mum sent me another story. Your mum is cooler than both of us. My mum is this podcast. Thank we just talked about my mum for an hour. Hates <laughs> mum. Um, yeah. Do you have b- better ties than this one? Yes, yeah, so my mum used to live in this house. Oh, this one has blood ties. Yes. So, just giving me a little disclaimer. It says Depot House, which was what the house was known as, was haunted. Everyone said it was, but no one had seen anything. No wailing babies, no woman in white, no headless corpse, nothing that went bump in the night. So it couldn't be, could it? The house came with dad's job. It was, as it says, a house in a depot. The council depot where dad had just been made supervisor. It was a medium-sized square slab of a house built into a slope and inside the yard gates. We were the living security. With five kids to house and feed, dad wasn't going to be too fussy. It was big enough, free, and the job carried a good salary. Due to the slope, there were five rooms downstairs and three bedrooms upstairs. There were two sheds and a bathroom in a single-storey back extension 
they were attached to the house by a long internal corridor. The small garden was to the side of the house. The house also came with the use of one of the garages in the yard, so there was storage for Dad's car and our bikes. Plenty of room for a family of seven, plus a menagerie of pets. Oh yeah, also, my mum lived in a family of seven, so... <laughs> There's a lot of people to back this up. If none of you believe me, I'll go ask them. More room, in fact, than we'd ever had before. We were not a wealthy family, and this was paradise to us. Mum and Dad counted themselves very lucky to have found such a suitable property for free, with a good job for Dad, and with good schools within walking distance for us. We were not local to the area... Dad had just been demobbed from the army and was still within his recall time, so he had to remain near the base in case he was needed. This house ticked all of the boxes, but we didn't know about its reputation. Trouble started on the very first day. The middle bedroom was locked when we entered the house. Extensive searching produced the key from one of the sheds. My parents thought this was odd, but, eager to unpack and settle in, they unlocked the door and entered the room. Oh, it's cold in here, Mum exclaimed, opening a window wide to let in the warm June air. Dad entered behind her, carrying the parts for the bunk beds. The plan was to put the baby, Danny, and the toddler, Ken, into the middle room as it was closest to Mum and Dad. I was to go in the end bedroom. As the only girl, I usually got my own room, and it was usually the smallest bedroom, though none none of the rooms in this house were very small. The two older boys, Jake and Malcolm, were to go downstairs nearest the bathroom as they still needed to be roused at night to use the toilet. When you get that bunk together, Dave, could you put the cot on one side straight away, please? The baby's almost asleep and I want to put him down for a nap so I can get on with things, Mum asked. Sure, Dad replied. I'll have it done in a minute. I'll give you a shout. A few moments later, Dad called down. All done. Mum entered the bedroom with the sleeping baby in her arms. As she went to lay him down, the baby woke up and started screaming hysterically, clinging to Mum, his legs frantically bicycling, as if he were trying to run away. Mum tried to soothe him, but his screams intensified. By now, we were all in the room. What was wrong? What's the matter? Why is he crying? We were all asking at once. The baby's distress was so unusual and so acute that we were all worried. Has he been bitten or stung? Dad asked, trying to check the struggling child to see any sign of a problem. The baby was screaming and crying so hard he was unable to breathe, his face changing from bright red to a blue tinge. Mum was truly alarmed now and ran downstairs, planning to use a cool flannel to help him calm down. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, the baby calmed. Still hiccuping softly from his ordeal, he snuggled into Mum's shoulder and within minutes fell into an exhausted sleep. Unsettled by his uncharacteristic behaviour, Mum put Danny in his pram and called me to watch over him for any signs of his distress returning. What was that all about? My puzzled parents questioned each other. Mum went back up into the middle bedroom to prepare the beds. It's still really cold in here, she said as Dad entered the room. Yes, Dad responded. I thought that when I was working in here. Perhaps it's been shut up a while and got cold and damp. I don't know when anyone last lived here. It probably just needs a good airing. The rest of the house doesn't feel like this, though, Mum said. And I keep getting the strangest feeling like I'm being watched when I'm in here. Oh, rubbish, Dad laughed. Don't go all superstitious on me. It's just new to us and been sharp a while. Don't be silly. Mum shrugged unhappily and left to go unpack elsewhere. 
The rest of the afternoon and evening passed without incident, but later, when Mum tried again to put the baby to bed, he reenacted the screaming hysteria of the afternoon. Ken, the toddler, refused to go into the bedroom as well. No like, he kept repeating, and ran out of the bedroom. I don't know what's wrong, Mum exclaimed, fretting and worried by the two distressed boys. They have their usual beds, toys, and everything. They're dog-tired with the excitement of moving and everything. They usually go to bed with no problem. Dad frowned at the two small boys. They're feeding on each other's panic, he pronounced. His face lined. He too was tired with the stresses of the day, and disappointed that his new style was not working out as he planned. Well, they're not going to settle in that room tonight, Mum said. The best thing will be to put them in with us tonight so we can all get some sleep. We can try again tomorrow when everyone has calmed down. Grumbling, Dad agreed. The rest of us went quietly into our respective rooms, and we all slept peacefully through the night. Mum and Dad tried for three more days to get Ken and Danny to sleep in the middle bedroom. Every attempt brought the same screaming, hysterical reaction. By the evening of day three, the boys started screaming as soon as Mum started to take them upstairs. The middle bedroom was as cold as it had been when we moved in, despite having the window open and the door open the whole time to let in the warm air. Mum and Dad decided to swap over the boys and move the older two upstairs. It wasn't as convenient, but it was all they could think to do. Jake and Malcolm went upstairs that night, moaning that they had, as they felt they'd settled into their new room, and they were resentful of having to move so soon for what they thought was just nonsense. During the day, they played in the middle bedroom without any big problems, though they complained that it was cold and that they didn't like it as much as the larger room downstairs that they thought of as theirs. But when night came and it was time for bed, they lasted less than two hours before they both ran panicking from the room, claiming there was something in there with them. What? yelled Dad, thoroughly exasperated. What is in there? The two boys stood trembling in front of Dad, they had no answer, except to say, There's something in there, Dad, and it doesn't want us in there. It says, get out, get out, get out while you can. The boys were red-faced and anxious, but wouldn't give in. They were not going back in that room. Well, I'm stood right here and I didn't hear anything, Dad said angrily. He stalked into the bedroom, but even he had to admit the room was freezing, even colder than before. Dad's breath showed invisible, misty puffs hanging in the air in front of him. It's cold, just cold, Dad sighed. The boys were not persuaded. Eventually, Mum and Dad agreed that they could join the younger boys in the downstairs bedroom. Jake and Malcolm could not be persuaded to try the middle bedroom again. They firmly stated that they preferred to share the downstairs room with the two younger boys, which, considering they usually felt themselves far too grown up to associate with Ken and the baby, spoke volumes about how scared they were of the upstairs room. The downstairs bedroom wasn't big enough for all four boys, so, of course, a couple of days later, my parents came to me with the idea I should take the middle bedroom so that they could put baby Danny into my room. Come on, give it a try, please, Dad begged. This is all just silly. The boys have got themselves wound up about nothing. They frightened themselves just because Danny was afraid of a new room. You're my big girl. You can go in there and show them that there's nothing to be afraid of. Okay, Dad, I said. 
I was afraid and quaking inside, but making my dad proud of me was the biggest thing in my life, so I was determined not to let him down. I started moving my clothes and stuff into the room. It was a hot June afternoon, airless and still. The window was wide open, but the room had remained cold. We'd been in the house for coming up for a week, and Mum had been opening the door and window in the room every day trying to warm it up, but it stayed the same cold, unwelcoming space. Nervously, I unpacked my things and put them away. I felt all the while as if I was being watched. The hairs rose on my neck, and the skin on my back crawled. I felt slightly sick and wanted to run. But Dad's words kept coming back to me. Be my big girl. So I stuck to it. I kept glancing over my shoulder, but no matter how often I looked, and how quickly I turned, I didn't see anything. As soon as I could, I left the room and went downstairs with everyone else. When it got to 9pm, my usual time for bed, Mum made me a hot water bottle. Despite the June heat, the room was still cold, and Mum thought I might need it. You can leave your light on tonight if you want, Mum said as I started up the stairs. Okay, thanks, I replied, slightly anxious again about entering the bedroom. My parents were usually strict about bedtimes and lights out, so in a way I was even more worried by being given permission to keep the light on. But I loved to read, and I was nervous following my earlier experience in the room, so I didn't argue. The bedroom was colder than ever. I quickly got into my pyjamas and scrambled into bed, gratefully clutching my hot water bottle. I read and read, huddled under the blankets. It felt like the room was getting even colder. I huffed out an experimental breath and realised I could see it hanging like mist in the air before my face. Disturbed, I pulled the covers over my head. I could see the light through the sheet and lying cocooned, I eventually slept. I woke suddenly to pitch black. No light could be seen anywhere. A feeling of total panic and despair swept over me. Get out, get out, get out, a voice chanted in my head. Now, while you still can. Terrified, I lay frozen in place. Now, 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 the voice came again, even louder this time. Now, run, be quick, while the door is open. I, start, I stared frantically around, but I could see nothing in the dark, freezing room. I gingerly stretched out a hand and grabbed the covers. I began to reach out one leg to get ready to run. My foot encountered something very hard and very cold. What was this? I couldn't move. Now, now, run, came the voice. Panic and terror plainly evident in it now. Kicking my legs free, I hit the floor and ran, blind terror giving me strength and courage. Not daring to look behind me, I sprinted out of the room and down the stairs. Wide-eyed, panting and shocked, I threw myself into the lounge. My astounded parents stood up and rushed towards me. "'What on earth's wrong?' Mum asked. "'I don't know,' I burst into tears. "'It said, get out. It was so cold. You turned the lights out. It was so dark. I was so frightened.' I gabbled in one long, tearful burst. "'Oh, for God's sake!' Dad said angrily, and stalked from the room. Mum put her arms around me, shushing and comforting me. "'We didn't turn the light out, darling. It's only half past eleven. We haven't even gone up to bed yet,' Mum said. Dad returned at that moment. In his hand, he clutched my hot water bottle. "'It's frozen,' he said, astounded. "'It's a block of ice. I've never seen anything like it.' "'Please,' I quavered. Can I stay with you tonight, Mum? I don't want to go back to that room. Of course, Mum responded. 
Dad, firmly stating that he didn't believe there was anything wrong, decided to go to bed in the middle room himself. Why are dads like this? I know. (laughs) Grateful not to be told to return to my own bed, I spent the night warm and snug with Mum. When we got up the following morning, we found Dad asleep on the sofa. He never mentioned anything about that night, but he emptied the room, found the key, and locked it up again, returning the key to the shed whence it came. Danny, the baby, was put into the room to share with me. None of us ever liked having to pass the middle room after dark, and sometime later, we noticed that none of the animals ever went upstairs. When I started school, the week after these events, the other children told me about the depot house and said it was haunted, but no one could tell me how, by whom, or why. They just said, I wouldn't live there for anything. Stuff, Dad said when I told him. Kids scaring themselves. We continued to live there with the middle room locked up for a while. I think Dad was reluctant to ask his new employers to be allowed to move out, especially as he was supposed to be the night security, and the house was free with the job, and, as I said, we were not a wealthy family. No friends would visit us while we lived there, though. Not even the eccentric Irish family from over the road who kept an alligator in their bath. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> I know, I love that you I wrote that I want to hear in. this story as well. Yeah, she, she, that's all the information I've got from that. We'd been living there about six months when we, when we children noticed that lots of small things were going missing. Small toys, sweets, hair clips, combs, just tiny bits and pieces. Our parents blamed us, but we were all adamant that we were not doing anything. Mum said we were careless. Dad said we were messing about, but we knew it wasn't us. Some things would come back too. Some things reappeared quickly, and others were gone for longer. Slowly, we realised that all of the things came back onto the big, old-fashioned sideboard in the dining room. Dad's garage key went missing once. Of course, we kids were blamed. Dad asked us all who had it. We all denied any knowledge of his key. Despite our protests, we knew that nothing... Um, But despite our protest that we knew nothing, we were grounded and sent to bed with no tea. The following day, the key was on the sideboard. Dad was even more convinced that it was all us messing about, but we knew it wasn't. One day I had a letter about my 11 plus exam. We were all in the kitchen, gathered together for me to open the envelope. I read the letter and told everyone I'd passed. Hooray, mum yelled. Well done, dad said. My brothers joined in cheering and clapping. Suddenly... There was a noise in the dining room next door. Has the cat got shut in? Mum queried. We opened the door. There was no cat, but on the usually clear sideboard was a small pile of bits and pieces. They were all mine. A shoelace, a blue button from my cardigan, a hair ribbon, a sherbet lemon sweet, a penny, a plastic toy from a Christmas cracker, a bookmark. Some things I hadn't even realised were missing, but they were all mine. We stared at each other. I grabbed my stuff and left, followed by the rest of the family. Mum shut the door firmly behind us. Mum looked at Dad. Any ideas? Mum asked. Dad shook his head and went back to work. In celebration of my exam success, Mum bought a selection of fruit. Bananas, oranges, grapes, the sort of fruit we only saw at Christmas. Mum piled all the fruit onto a plate and put it, pride of place, in the centre of the sideboard. Overnight, the plate and the fruit disappeared. My parents were really mad. Fruit was expensive. All of us kids were blamed. Electron greed and theft was given to us all. We lost our sweet allowance that week. TV was withdrawn and a whole host of other punishments were 
were dealt out. But we all continued to insist we had not taken the fruit. Two weeks later, the plate and the fruit reappeared on the sideboard. Mum found it. We knew she had because her scream echoed through the house. The fruit was completely intact and seemed as fresh as the day Mum had bought it. But none of us wanted to try it. We moved shortly after that, to a house just outside the yard. We were so close Dad was able to persuade his bosses he was still able to do his job and supervise the yard overnight. We got a large dog and Dad patrolled the, the yard several times every night. No one ever moved into Depot House and it was demolished three years later when they remodelled the council yard. We never did find out who haunted it or why, but it wasn't our last imp- encounter with a poltergeist. I was going to say it sounds like a pesky poltergeist. Yep. That's such a fun story. I really liked that. Yeah. <laughs> like that it was like, well, I mean, you did a good job, so have all your things. Yeah, right. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, for, for, um, because Americans don't have 11 pluses, do they? For you guys, an 11 plus is, uh, so when you move from primary to secondary school, so when you're, when you're turning 11, um, you move to big school and in order to do it, you can go to like a public school or a secondary school which is also a kind of public school but it's kind of like you have to pass a test because it's for in inverted commas more intelligent people do you know what i mean so that's what that is yeah we don't have those either where i'm from oh i've not heard of that test until until i met you oh no way yeah. oh i guess there are more grammar schools down south aren't we there? don't have any grammar schools yeah. where I'm from they're all just public schools wow yeah, grammar schools. <laughs> I went to grammar school. Grammar schools suck. <laughs> but yeah, that was that little story. That was good. We should have done that separately. I didn't think it was going to be so long. It was good though. I know, really me liked. neither. <laughs> um, you want to plug while I regain my voice? Yeah, sure. So if you like the podcast, then you can support us on Patreon. Go into patreon.com forward slash Murder, And we have a couple of different tiers on there. You can pick one that you like. Give us some cash. We'll give you some rewards. Uh, next month, so March, we're going to start reading Carmilla, did we decide? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to do a chapter of that every like couple weeks or whatever. For some tiers, some tiers you get extra episodes, some tiers you get prints, cards, stuff like that. So it's all very fun stuff. Also, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MythsMagicPod. Also, sorry, I've had enough of a rest now. I'm here. Uh, you can tell us your spooky stories, haunted happenings, and terrifying tales. Send them over to mythsmagicandmurder at gmail.com. If you like Kate's mum's stories, Kate's, Kate's mum's stories. <laughs> Please don't call me Kate. Ah, <laughs> uh, this was from Obbies and Cake. <laughs> yeah, no, do let us know. Um, my mum wants to know if you guys like them, so. You really if you hate them, it? then I won't tell her that. <laughs> Right. Ready for me to talk again, aren't you? Yeah, ready for you to ruin the fun of this episode with a sad yes, story. This one is sad and unsolved, so don't get your hopes up. So if you don't like that, click off of this now. <laughs> yeah, let it end on a good note. Today, I'm going to be talking about the disappearance of Heather Ra- Rachel. Rachel? Raquel? R-A-C-H-E-L-L-E. I thought I could say it for some reason. Elvis. It's not really a... a British thing, is it? Rachel. Rachel. Heather Elvis. Sources. 
Wikipedia, exojane.com, The New York Post, The State News, Charlotte Observer, TrueCrimeDaily.com, WPDE.com, Oxygen.com, LawandCrime.com, Live5News.com, and ScriptureProduct.org. So, Heather was born on June 30th, 1993 in Horry County, which is in South Carolina. She graduated in 2011, and just after graduating, she moved into an apartment with her roommate, Bree Worrellman, relatively close to where she grew up. She worked as a waitress at Tilted Kilt in Myrtle Beach. If you don't know what Tilted Kilt is, as I did not, it's a pub and eatery. On the casting page of their website, it says, Kilt girl entertainers are an elite group of women who are sexy, smart, friendly, and classy. Be a part of the best-looking sports pub you've ever seen and apply today. Imagine trying to land a role in a Hollywood movie or sexy fitness calendar. You want to look and act your best. These auditions are just the same. To land the role, you gotta play it up, girl. Grab your favourite outfit, glam up your hair and makeup, and visit a franchise location today for an audition. Wow. Yeah. I know, I read it and I was like, on your website? So I think it's just like a Hooters type thing. Yeah, sounds kind of like that. Yes. So that's where she worked. Cool. Um, while studying cosmetology and she was working on being an artist um, kind of like more of a makeup artist yeah I figured. Uh, yeah I had a look on her Twitter uh, which was really weird because I tend not to do stories that have happened any time recently no you've done a lot of like 1500 ones mm, in the yeah. last couple of uh, she seemed fun loving just kind of like an, an early 20 year old pleasant yeah she would you know she was drinking doing drugs, having a good time, listening to music, like... Yeah, fair enough. Um, her father described her as always smiling. She loved dogs, loved children. She went, like, on an expedition, helped out, like, orphanages. She seems just, like, a really nice person. Um, yeah, so all in all, Heather was a sweet, attractive young woman. Heather had experienced bad relationships before in her life, which is pretty common if you're a woman in your 20s. For example, I'm going to read out some of her tweets. January 23rd, 2013. Is it weird that I'm okay with being your second choice or even your third than not being your choice at all? January 28th. And for some reason, I wish I was the only one you you were making happy. Not her. I hate her. January 29th. I spent nine months being lied to by a dude. Then it happened with the next one. February 6th. Once men have tasted caviar, it baffles me how they can settle for catfish. And then immediately after... I'm referring to me as caviar and her as catfish, in case that literary <laughs> pun blew your tiny mind. <laughs> February 6th. When someone's fiancé hits me up trying to spit game, I'm just like... And then it was a meme of Hitler <laughs> saying, this amuses me. So she just seems like a 20-year-old girl. Yeah. Really. Um, having bad relationships, getting on with her life, that kind of thing, tweeting about it. Yeah, we've all been there. Yeah. Seems like things might have changed from June 12th, 2013, though, because she tweeted, I got to taste for men that are older. Could also be the Lana Del Rey lyric. Shush. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, so um, when I found her Twitter, I went all the way back to the beginning. She only has like 800 tweets, so I just read them all. Um, and she posted what she was listening to a lot. She obviously liked Lana Del Rey. It was on there. Obviously... These are also lyrics from the 2012 hit, Cola. 
It's a good song. It is a good song. I listen to it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it doesn't necessarily mean anything. I mean, you say that, but at the same time, like, you only really post lyrics if you really relate to the lyrics. It doesn't tend to feel like... Or if it's a bop, though. I mean, yeah, but why that lyric? Maybe posting my pussy tastes like Pepsi Cola wasn't the best lyric to go for. There are other lyrics than that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but that's what she posted, however she felt was done. This podcast is no longer PG because you've just said that. <laughs> oh, just wait. Oh, oh. Heather. Then, however, we get to July 7th and she tweeted, The guy that builds things at my job makes me cream myself. Hashtag wet dreams tonight. Ooh. Yeah. And on the same day, in all caps, One of these days I will drag that man into the mop closet and have my way with him, Lord have mercy. She sounds like a fun person. Right. So Heather's got a crush. <laughs> and this, <laughs> this podcast is no longer PG. The man who repaired the kitchen equipment was Sidney Mora. He was blonde-haired, blue-eyed, 38. He had a goatee, wife, and two children. Okay. He and his wife, Tammy... I like that you said he had a goatee and also wife and two children. I know, I, think that was I was thinking that, family. I, I think that when I wrote it. No, he's had this goatee for literally years. I've seen photos of him through the years, and his goatee is more of a, a stable in his life than anything else. Fair enough. He and his wife Tari had been mar- T- Tari. Tammy had been married since 1998. If there was any doubt as to whether this was the man that Heather was referring to in the previous tweets, she then mentioned a Sydney by name and said she was going to try and see him in a reply tweet to her friend that basically asked her what was going on. Four hours after this, she tweeted, "Baby did a bad bad thing." Oh no. So, yes. Apparently, Heather and Sydney started to have an affair in September 2013. Oh, this can never be good. He would often bring her bagels and coffee to her work. And he, so he was talking about moving um, with his wife, Tammy, and they had two kids. So he was talking about moving over to Florida with his family. And he was saying to Heather, oh, well, you can work as a nanny for us and move with us. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yikes. Which I thought was interesting, but whatever. Um, So Heather spoke about him to her friends, and from the tweets I read, it looks like her friends met him. But yeah, it wasn't just a, a one-off, like, oh, want to have sex with this guy, from the looks of it. Yeah, fair enough. Apparently, though, the affair didn't continue for very long, according to Sydney, who said it was over in September. This could be true, as Heather tweeted, Once upon a time, an angel and a devil fell in love. It did not end well. In October, Tammy, Sydney's wife, found out about the affair and was livid. Not just with Sydney, though. Her anger was mainly directed at Heather. I mean, I get that. You do? But because I don't. I think that if you're married to some man who's like a, like a grown-ass man, and he's having an affair with, with like someone a, half his age yeah i would probably think that he was taking advantage of her and i'd be mad at your husband i mean i know that you know you can date someone older in your 20s that's not what i'm saying i just mean like oh yeah if she found out i think i'll be more mad at him being like why have you done this yeah right as well like, 
angry at this young young girl. Well, Heather but... owed her nothing. You know, yeah, also no Heather point... might not have known. He could have been saying that he was single. I mean, obviously he 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 wasn't, but I she didn't think know she that. Knew. Oh, she knew that. Yeah. Okay. I think, but um, but yeah, she didn't owe Tammy anything. She wasn't married to her. She didn't take vows with her. Yeah, he did. He's the one that cheated on his wife. She just hooked up with a guy. Yeah, that's true. So it really annoys me with um with affairs when people get annoyed with like the side bit. Yeah, because it's not their fault anyway. Um, so there was an interview with Bree Warrelman, who was the roommate that Heather was living with. And she said, Tammy called Heather and said, you're going to end it with my husband. Then she put Sydney on the phone and sat there while Sydney and Heather talked. They ended things on the phone, but Sydney made comments to Heather while he was talking to her, um, and said like, you were nothing to me. You were just someone who spread your legs, like, and just tore her apart. No. Yeah. Tammy didn't stop there, though. The harassment of Heather continued, saying things like, I've been having Sydney followed since January 2012. It's best you call me back and speak to me. Save yourself. Hey, sweetie, ready to meet the missus? Like, she just wasn't being nice. Yeah, there's no relief for that, is there? Like, just drop it. Yeah, and she sent Heather pictures of Tammy and Sydney having sex. Whoa. Yeah, so Heather only replied twice. Uh, wants to say, I think you're a little obsessed with me. I'm no one you need to worry about anymore. To which Tammy replied five days later, five days later with, by the way, dad no longer owns a phone. Presumably dad is Sydney. Right. Right. And Heather just replied with a full stop. The abuse continued into Heather's work life, though, as Tammy kept phoning up the tilted kilt and saying that her husband would no longer work in repairs as long as Heather was still working there. Apparently, Heather had been sent home early once because Tammy kept harassing the staff over the phone. God, this woman. I yeah. understand being upset, but this is getting a bit It's a bit much. Hand. Just divorce your husband and move on. Yeah. If you need to take things that far, you know. Also, Tammy obviously didn't trust that her husband was going to stay faithful to her because she handcuffed him to their bed at night. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow, this woman... Sydney somehow managed to speak to Heather again to say that Tammy wasn't mad about the affair because she was having one too. She was mad because Sydney had lied to her about it. Wow. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Yeah, Tammy had a whole other boyfriend. Jeez. Yeah. Obviously, after the breakup, Heather was gutted which wasn't helped by the harassment. However, a few months later, it's December, Heather was super excited. She'd just got a job as a makeup artist that she was going to start in a couple of weeks. Um, she was raring to start. She also planned on attending church with Brie regularly. She went on a date, like the first date since it had all happened. The date was with Stephen Shiraldi, and it consisted of them driving around neighbourhoods to look at the Christmas lights. That's quite sweet. Yeah. On the date, she sent a photo to her dad. It was her driving her date's car, saying, just learnt to drive stick, I'm a pro. Because her car was automatic. I forget that's like a thing. Yeah. So, Heather's car was automatic. Heather's dad had a stick shift truck. And he was holding on to the truck for ages, because he had two daughters, 
obviously one is Heather and neither of them could drive stick so he was holding on waiting for one of them to learn it so maybe he could give them the truck that's cute yeah so she was like I can do it <laughs> um this would be the last picture of Heather that we know of Stephen dropped Heather home at around quarter past one in the morning on the 18th 18th of December Half an hour later, Brie got a call from Heather. She was crying her eyes out, saying that Sydney had phoned her. She said that he said he'd split up from his wife, missed Heather, and wanted to see her. Brie was obviously pretty fucking shocked. She'd just spent, like, a couple months trying to, you know, get her friend back on her feet. Um, And when Heather asked what she should do, she said, just sleep on it. See what you want to do in the morning. Don't do anything right now. Yeah. It's quarter two. I mean, fair enough. So, Heather then ignored this advice, left her apartment, and drove to Peachtree Landing, which is a small, wooded boating area. Her phone record showed she was there at 3.38am, so she didn't leave immediately. She left after a bit. Later that morning, the police were called because there was a green Dodge Intrepid parked oddly at Peachtree Landing. It was Heather's car, but as it was registered to her father, whose name is Terry, by the way, I forgot to mention that, he came with the officer to identify the car, to open it because he had the spare key. There was nothing of any interest inside. She and her keys, purse and phone were all gone without a trace. Obviously her friends and family tried to call her, but every time they did they were immediately met with a voicemail, which everyone said was odd because she practically lived on her phone. From here, the police were like, okay, well, we need to meet with the last person she rang and texted, which turned out to be Sydney Mora. Her dad had no idea who Sydney was, but he was able to see the number because it was on her phone records. So, as any dad would, he texted Sydney. His text was along the lines of, call me, this is important. Sydney replied a few hours later asking who this was, and Heather's dad immediately rang the number because he'd seen that he'd just texted him and explained who it was. Sydney obviously didn't take kindly to him ringing, and started yelling, cursing at Terry, saying he didn't know who Heather was, he's never met a Heather, he hung up. So, seems pretty sketchy. Kind of suspect. Hmm. When police question Sydney, he claims that he hasn't spoken to Heather in at least two months. This is obviously a lie, because the police have access to the phone records which show he just spoke to her before she went missing. He then changes his story to say, yeah, I spoke to her, but it was to say, quit trying to call me. Because she had tried ringing him, like, three times, like, ten minutes before. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. So. The police then questioned Stephen, who was the guy she was on the date with. He was cleared, his alibi checked out, he passed the polygraph test. You know how I feel about polygraph tests anyway, but he seems fine. So yeah, obviously they also send rescue divers into surrounding water areas, but to no avail. In the time around the investigation, Heather's family and friends make a Find Heather Elvis Facebook page, which is, in my opinion, a brilliant idea. Not only because it's informative for people in the local area, but it's also had visits to the page from around the world. So on Heather's Twitter... When I did my deep dive, 
there were mentions of her like wanting to move to Australia or like getting out of town. You know, not that I think this is what's happened, but say for argument's sake that she did just want out, she met up with Sydney, realised she couldn't hack living in the town anymore and just fucked off to Australia. It is entirely possible that someone could see the page and be like, oh my god, my neighbour's Heather Elvis. Yeah, it's a really good idea to do something like that for sure. Yeah. Obviously it hasn't happened yet and she has been missing for six years and two months. Six years, that's so sad. Uh Uh-huh. But there's still there's still a glimmer of hope. I mean, yeah. However, when Heather's family was doing this, Tammy Mora was making her own Facebook posts. You ready? Well, Sydney cheated on me in the months of September October with a psycho whore who has since went missing. Huh. Okay. So doesn't seem to be too upset about this 20-year-old that's gone missing. No. Hmm. So, she seems like a charming, innocent woman. <laughs> so, this was all going on in 2013 to 14. As you can imagine, everyone butted their noses in. People were accusing Tammy, Sydney, Bree, Terry, literally everyone who was involved. Speaking of everyone getting involved, Terry's friend, Bill, was helping out with tip lines, etc., until one day the police arrested him for obstruction of justice. Bill had been conducting his own investigation parallel to the police one, interviewing people to get evidence, and apparently had a piece of evidence that he did not immediately tell the police about. Oh, okay. Bill. I don't know if Bill is a good guy. I've never met him. But if my friend or someone close to my family went missing... I can totally understand how easy it would be to try and take the law into your own hands. Yeah, that's fair enough. It's like in every slasher film ever, when the main character's like, we can't take this to the police, they'll fuck something up. Yeah, or they're like, they won't believe us anyway. Exactly. (laughs) No, I'm not saying it's a good idea, or that the police are, you know, not good at their job. Yeah, you probably shouldn't do that, but I understand why in the situation you would want to. Yeah, exactly. Like, what I'm saying is I can completely understand how something like this can happen, and I don't think it warrants... Because then... Because obviously social media is a big thing around 2013. Yeah. Everyone was then like, it was Bill. You know, he's killed her. So I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, there's no proof of that, is there? Then, a couple months after Heather's gone missing, Terry is threatened. He's leaving work as a jeep pulls up next to him with two men inside. The men say, we already have Heather. Morgan is next. So Morgan's Terry's other daughter. Nothing came of that. Probably just people playing a prank. Right. That's horrible though. Because why would you do that? This thing was so huge on social media. Poor guy. Yeah. Um, in other news, people are trying to kill Sydney. And they're mutilating and killing his pets. Oh no, that's not good. No. <laughs> no, it's not. He filed two separate police reports claiming that someone had taken a shot at him and his family on two separate occasions, obviously. Hours after one of them, the police show up to his house. But it's not about the report. They have a search warrant. Wait, so Sidney just come? Does he just come back when they find him? Because they couldn't get in touch with him. Or was he just the dad couldn't get in touch with him, but the police were, were able to? The dad couldn't get in touch with him. Oh, right, okay. He's Everyone already been, was. like, questioned once. I point. thought he just, At like, least once. left because they couldn't contact him. No, no, no. It was just the dad. He just didn't reply to the dad. So, yeah, the police show up, 
they have a search warrant. Um, they don't really find anything. But Sydney and Tammy are both arrested. Not only for obstruction of justice, kidnapping and murder, but also for indecent exposure for marital relations in public. Oh. So the indecent exposure was because they were apparently having sex in their truck at the time Heather disappeared, like that was their alibi. So the police oh, were right, like, and they got themselves caught. Yeah, anyway, the police like... were like, "Well, that's illegal." <laughs> <laughs> they were like, "No, we didn't commit that crime. We committed a different crime." <laughs> no, we were setting a light to the neighbor's house. <laughs> um, however, so on the night, well, the morning of the eighteenth, at three thirty-six a.m. A camera spotted a dark-coloured Ford F-150 pickup truck coming from the direction of Sydney's house, headed towards Peachtree Landing. Then, at 3.45am, the same truck is headed back from the direction of Peachtree Landing to the Morris house. So, looking a bit suspect. Mm -hmm. Sydney had a dark-coloured truck also. So... Seeming a bit more suspect. Yeah. However, the license plate was never caught on camera. And Sydney said in an interview that if it was his truck, it wasn't him or anyone he knew inside. The FBI and South Carolina's Highway Patrol zoomed and enhanced the image enough to determine that it was Sydney's truck and it was searched. Although the truck was searched, a witness claimed that shortly after Heather was reported as missing, they saw Sydney cleaning his car for an hour and a half and then burning the rags. Oh my god. Crazy, right? Wow, what a crazy coincidence. December seems like the best time to clean your car for an hour and a half. To burn the rags, too. Also, so he had just come back from a holiday with his family. They'd gone away since, like, until December 17th. That was the day they got back. So why would you need to clean your car for an hour and a half just after you've been on holiday? It's not like you've been doing the school run, is it? Yeah. That's even more suspect. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, one of the... um, This tried to get explained away. So Tammy has a sister. I can't remember his na- her name. I'm so sorry. But the sister said, well, he was doing that because I bought him a car cleaner for Christmas and I gave it to him early because it was a nice day and I thought he might want to wash his car. Huh. Yeah. Sydney was caught going out and about that night, so the morning of the 17th, the morning of the 18th, as security cameras at a Walmart showed that at 1.12am he entered the store Seven minutes later, he bought cigars and a pregnancy test. Then, other footage shows Sydney making a call from a payphone at 1.35am. So everyone kind of thinks that the pregnancy test was for Heather, as she'd recently gone up three dress sizes, according to people at her workplace. Oh, wow. However, Tammy disagreed and said that Sydney and Heather only ever had oral sex, and the pregnancy test was actually for Tammy. Also, Sydney had originally denied having used a payphone, but when this footage came up, he retracted his earlier statement and said, oh, actually, I do remember using a payphone, and I did in fact call Heather, but it was to tell her to leave me alone because she'd been leaving notes on my car. However, it had been shown that they spoke for over four minutes, so 
It's a bit long to be saying it's leave a bit me of a alone. chat in it, yeah. Also, how would she have been leaving notes on his car if he's been away on holiday? True. Which I feel like no one has mentioned. Even if this guy is innocent, he cannot get his story straight. My God. Sydney went to trial for kidnapping Heather Elvis in 2016, but it was a hung jury, so he didn't go to prison. However, in October 2018, Tammy was sentenced to 30 years in prison for the kidnapping of Heather Elvis. And in September 2019, Sydney was found guilty of kidnapping and conspiracy to commit kidnapping of Heather Elvis and had also been sentenced to 30 years in prison. In Sydney's trial, Donald DiMarino, just a, a random guy, I don't know who he is, testified that Sydney had showed him a photo of Heather just after she went missing. The prosecutor asked if the photo looked like Heather's family would ever hear from her again, to which Donald shook his head. Oh no. Yeah. But Sydney's not said what happened, where she is, if she's okay. So we just don't know. I hate that. It's so frustrating, especially when someone's already imprisoned for that long yeah right like you may as well just say it if you've done something to that poor girl tell them like give the family closure Mm -hmm. you're already in prison why would you keep that yeah it's just such a power trip for them and i'm like you know you don't deserve this like you've already been caught i mean you wouldn't deserve it even if you hadn't been caught but you've been caught you're in prison anyway just say it yeah what what's the point in holding on to this exactly it's ridiculous so, yeah, I would definitely recommend going onto the Find Heather Elvis Facebook page. They're still asking for any new information. They hold um, candlelit prayer vigils, um, like yearly, on the date. That's sweet. Um, it would be wonderful if you could go and show some support, even if it's just showing that you hope or pray for some new information. I will warn you, though, I spent approximately two minutes on the page before I started crying, so be prepared. Oh, cool. Um, And if you have any information on the disappearance of Heather Elvis, then call 843-915-5350 or you can email findheatherelvis at gmail.com. Cool. I'll put those in the description as well. Yeah. It's just, it's such a frustrating case and so much happened. You know, there's like the possible pregnancy, the wife getting involved, the wife also having like another bit on the side, like... The fact that she'd moved on, you know, people are like, oh, well, it's obvious that Heather was pregnant. Tammy found out, went to go deal with it. You know. I mean, it's not obvious, though. Exactly. Nothing is obvious. Yeah. It's all kind of suspicious, yes. It's all just Him cleaning the car, I think, after coming back from holiday is probably the most suspicious. But, and the photograph thing you said from, from court, but. Yeah, well, <laughs> in court. The defense of Sydney was like, judge, all the evidence they've got is Sydney washing his car. That's awful. And the judge was like, actually, that's the best piece of evidence they have because um, why is he cleaning his car for an hour and a half in the middle of December after being on holiday? Yeah, it's really, really (laughs) suspicious. So, yeah, right. It doesn't take you that long to clean a car either. I hope she did just get up and leave, though, you know? Yeah, I really hope that she just went to Australia. But 
it would it would be very very weird if that's what happened because she obviously had a close relationship with definitely her dad i'm sure her mom as well but from what from everything that i found you know she she texted her dad a photo of her on a date yeah they were obviously close it's quite unusual for her to just then decide to leave yeah it's so sad so i'm glad that um they got prison though i'm just so frustrated that they haven't said anything like yeah. what happened just say it spit it out yeah but i watched an interview with sydney so i'm presuming you think it was sydney and tammy yeah i wish it wasn't I, I wish that i could say that i wish you know i think she left but i mean it just there's so much evidence that you've given me to support that they've done something yeah whether by accident or on purpose i don't know what it could be you know what i mean mm-hmm. but yeah there was an interview with um with sydney on youtube i just literally just typed in like sydney mora and um it was him in in like a park talking to this guy and he just seemed so cocky he was like well if that was my truck it, it, you know it wasn't me or like it wasn't anyone i knew you know what i mean like what a weird yeah, thing to say don't say that yeah he was like if that was my truck it definitely wasn't me or anyone i knew and the interviewer was like, how would that have happened, though? Yeah, right? Someone stole your truck and then gave it back to you? Yeah. I think if something did happen, then the wife definitely played some sort of part in it. Because for her to, to tweet stuff like that as well, and be it was not on Facebook, at all yeah. affected, like, post, you know, regardless. Yeah. Why would she do that? It was just a really sinister crime. I feel like. Even if, even if they just kidnapped her, and then passed her on you know what i mean why would you do that but why would they need to have cleaned their car like what could say worst case scenario they killed her and then put her in the car which is why they were cleaning the car where would they have put her because the police searched the estate i don't know if they killed her but you know somehow they could have just taken her somewhere Taking the body somewhere, brought it back, crazy. and then he cleaned the car for an hour and a half. Yeah, it's just weird. I feel like America is such a big place that things can just kind of go undiscovered for ages. Um, I mean, it's like here we have the Moore's murderers, and there's still that one child. I think it was Pauline that hasn't been found. I don't know the name of the person who hasn't been found, but... There is still one. There's still one. And I remember um, people were so mad at him because for the same reason, he was about to die in prison. Uh-huh. His, she'd already died. And everyone was like, just tell us where the last kid is buried. And he was like, no. And then he died. And they'll never know. Well, it's so frustrating because he'd been out around the time as well because the police... Sorry, this is going off on a total tangent, but just really quickly, the police had taken him out at the time because he was like, yeah, okay, I'll help you find her. And then he was like... Oh. I actually don't know where it is. I don't know whether that was true or not. But if that was true, you should have just been like, look, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like that's something you can't forget. Do you not want to get this guilt off your chest? I guess some people just don't... If you're going to kill someone, maybe you just don't experience guilt. I mean, that's a different case than this, I though, because if, yeah. if they did kill Heather, you know, it could have easily been... They could have just, you know... Maybe Tamara just wanted to hit her. 
and be angry. Maybe she hit her with something and then was like, oh my God. Exactly. Or maybe she meant to kill her in the moment. Like it could have been like a crime of passion. You know what I mean? Like you're so angry. You're seeing red. You want to kill this person. And then afterwards you're like, holy shit, I've just killed a person. It's completely different. Like killing someone in theory, you could be like, yeah, I could kill someone. And like doing it, you'd be like, yeah, fuck you. You deserve to die or whatever. And then afterwards you're like, oh my God. What have I done? I don't know. They could have just not killed her. They couldn't have done anything. Might not have done anything. Yeah, true. They might be innocent. They might be. It's entirely possible. That it is. Well, that wraps up that episode, I feel like. Yeah, that's enough now. So, don't listen to us talking about rectories, horrible houses, and missing persons before bed. Mm. I don't know whether you should listen before bed. <laughs> <laughs> yes! No, you should listen before bed. No!